Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And we're going to kick off this new year with a topic that is pretty well known uh, and it might be maybe controversial. I don't know. We're talking about FIPS, Fishery Improvement Projects, and it's something that I have been aware of but don't really know too much about, so I was really glad we were able to have this conversation. We sat down with Ryan Bigelow, who is the Project Director at the Conservation Alliance for Seafood Solutions, and he talked all about FIPS and their new and updated guidelines for fishery improvement projects. So We're kicking off the new year with some inspiration of how you can do things better. Yes, exactly. I think you're going to enjoy it, but before we get into that, I want to remind everybody to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen so you get every new episode directly downloaded onto your device as soon as they're available. Follow us on Twitter, at AquademiaPod. If you want to contact us for any reason, sponsorship, you want to be a guest, you have topic suggestions, you can fill out our online form located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. And if you like this episode, if you enjoy what you're listening to, then please leave us a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. That's right. Enjoy this conversation that we had with Ryan and we will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. So we're sitting down today with Ryan Bigelow, who is the project manager at the Conservation Alliance for Seafood Solutions. And we're going to be talking about FIPS and some guidelines that they have for those. But before we get into that, Ryan, I want to talk about you. Let's hear who we're who we're talking to. Um, tell us what your story is, how you got to where you are now, what you do, what the conservation does, all that. Absolutely. So uh, really happy to be here. Um, as I said, uh, my name is Ryan. I am the project director at the Alliance. Uh, I've been with the Alliance for almost two years now. Before that, I was with Seafood Watch at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. I spent about a decade with them. And even before that, uh, I was a translator overseas. So it's been oh. quite a journey to get all the way here to the wow. Alliance. Um, so what do I do now in my day-to-day? Well, any sort of projects that involve input from the community. So in this case, the FIP guidelines is probably the one that people are most familiar with and what we're going to talk about today. Um, I lead that as both the facilitator and the project director. So bringing together our community to talk about that project. Next up, we'll be working, excuse me, on a vision uh, for the movement. And then next year, we're going to be doing guidelines for companies. So a lot on my plate. Yeah, for sure. How did you, how did you end up in the seafood world? Uh, So started off as a translator. uh, Yeah, I, I didn't know anything at all about seafood. I was a translator and ended up doing just through, um, through luck and circumstance, doing a lot of environmental interpretation and translation and really enjoyed it more than the ins and outs of, you know, talking about car parts or patent law or the other things that seem to be big in in my particular field. So uh, I made the jump, uh, came back to the United States, went to grad school, got a degree in environmental policy and um, fell in with the aquarium. And that was that. Very cool. All right. So we're obviously going to get into the standards and everything. And I want to clarify, actually, first of all, that uh, the Conservation Alliance for Seafood Solutions is referred to as the Alliance in a lot of cases. It is different from the Global Seafood Alliance, which is where we work. So I just want to make sure yes. that that yeah, is... Yeah, yeah, it's very confusing. Yeah, but yes. Lots of right. alliances in the Lots seafood Lots of alliances, yeah. yes. Yeah, which um, is good. 
But before we get into the standards, I mean, the guidelines that you guys have, mm-hmm. I want to talk about FIPS in general, which is fishery imp- improvement projects. Can right. you talk about what they are? What is a FIP? When, it, when would it be implemented? When is it appropriate? And all that. Like, let's just get a baseline knowledge for our listeners so they know what we're talking about when we say FIPS. Sure. Um, I'm chuckling a little bit to myself because I assume a lot of your audience is already very knowledgeable about this. And they probably they are, know yeah. more about it than we do. So this yeah. is more for us. <laughs> That's very true. And uh, a lot of those questions are a little loaded, but I'll do my best. So, you know, in the, in the current sort of world of sustainable or responsible seafood, you have certifications like MSC or ASC, BAP, all these other certifications out there. You have, you know, certification, I'm sorry, recommendations like Seafood Watch. Um, And so those really provide a bar for sort of a finish line, if you will, right? Um, But the fact of the matter is it's often difficult to get there and fisheries, farms need help getting to those things. In the case of fisheries, um, if there are things that they could improve, then the fishery improvement project is a tool that's available for them to reach whatever their goals might be, you know, some sort of certification, some sort of recommendation. Um, again, it could be a variety of different things, but it, it's, it's a tool or even a set of tools, guidelines to get you to a better place along your journey towards sustainability, social responsibility, whatever it may be. Are you able to give us any kind of um, examples of, of FIPS that have been successful? Um, yeah, there are FIPS all over the world. Um, I, I couldn't give you the exact number off the top of my head, hundreds, um, right? Um, and most of those are not complete yet. Most of those are, are still, they're working towards towards sustainability, but they there have been, for, for species from tuna to crab, there, there are FIPS out there working on just about every sort of issue and in every sort of country you can imagine. Yeah. What can you give us a little bit more detail in, on to what you're going to what I know you kind of laid out what your plan is for the remainder of this year and next year. Could you go into a little bit more detail um, what that's going to look like? Yes, exactly. Sure. sure. So if we want to start the FIP guidelines um, are maybe talk a little bit about the history of those and start there and then work yeah, towards it. Sure. Those? Yeah, okay. perfect. So the FIP guidelines existed well before I but they've, they've been around for a while. They, you know, they certainly predate me and my time at the Alliance. Um, mm-hmm. But they have been the, you know, there was a need from the community to align around what constitutes a FIP. And so the guidelines were developed to meet that, to meet that end, to provide that guidance. Um, as we looked at where they are now and as we thought about revising them, and they are, I should say, they, are revi- they have been revised every couple of years to include, you know, the, the best, up, the most up-to-date science, new information, what have you, new tools that are available to FIP implementers. As we looked at that for this current revision that we're, we're talking about today, there was a real interest in including social responsibility. Um, mm-hmm. it, had been, it had been mentioned, but there were no requirements around it. Um, and as you know, social responsibility with the advent of fishery progress and other platforms um, out there has been, it's been a big deal. They're, they're I'm straight. actually shocked that that hasn't been top of mind sooner. Yeah. But yeah, sorry yeah. to interrupt there. No, no. Well, it it always has been. So, I mean, I think everyone's been thinking about it for a long time. And if I can step back, not talk about FIPS, maybe talk about the movement. And a lot of this is my opinion. So um, I really do hope your listeners uh, reach out to tell me how I'm wrong, because I'm sure I I, I missed some of this. But, you know, social response, for the most part, the OG sort of members of our sustainable seafood movement, right, are environmental groups. Yeah. And that's our bread and butter. That's what we're good at. That's what we know. And so when you say, okay, 
people, planet, profit, we understand it as the three pillars of true sustainability. We get that, you know, we all, we all studied that, but we, we, we're all focused on planet because that's what we know. And this, you know, we have colleagues who are slow, who are learning more and more about the, the social components of it, but really, what does that mean? How do you balance it both against the fact that you're asking it, you know, you're talking about a FIP, right? You're talking about many cases, a very small fishery, not always, so they, they're large scale fisheries too. But it's not like they have endless resources to engage in these issues, right? Mm-hmm. So the tools and the, the approach here, they come become very, very complicated very, very quickly. You know, who should be responsible for this work? What does true social responsibility look like? Does my, you know, California lens on what social responsibility, what it is and what it should be, does that apply in a country like Indonesia, right? Do I even have, is it legitimate for me to make claims about that, right? So it gets very complicated very, very quickly. So it's not that people haven't been thinking about it. It's that um, we haven't quite known how to implement it. Okay. And it's a little bit harder to quantify, I would imagine, than a lot of environmental standards around FIPS. Yes. We're talking about people, not fish, right? Right. Um, you know, you people are much more comfortable with talking about a blanket statement about animal. Well, I shouldn't say that, but <laughs> people are, are more comfortable <laughs> talking about um at the end of the day, an animal that you're going to consume, it's much different than talking about a person whose livelihood right. has children, families, you know, dreams. So, yeah. Right. right. So what what are some of the uh, changes that have been implemented to kind of bring that more into the fold when we're talking about looking at FIPS from a whole? Yeah. And there's there's two big things, really. One, I'll start with the, the, the big sort of the, the main one, which is there is a requirement. There is now a requirement around social responsibility that you consider it. Um, what's held up is the, the, the social policy that is currently um, in place at Fishery Progress. In the, so the requirement is that you match that or a similar equivalent program. And we should probably come back to that in a bit, but that's, that's a big step forward for us. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that's the first biggest and the only firm requirement. The other addition that we heard from our working group um, which I can talk about too, um, is this, this is the inclusion of information about financial responsibility because it was in this, there's no requirements around this. It's just information to help FIP implementers, but there was a real understanding that while there are tools available for a FIP implementer to learn more about what it's going to cost and what are the, what are the financial obligations and the financial outcomes of engaging a FIP, they weren't well known. And so we've added guidance around that. Because frankly, some of these 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 improvements can be expensive. Mm, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So, are those requirements, and this could kind of lead us into a conversation about standards for FIPS? Mm-hmm. Are those requirements required of absolutely every fishery improvement project moving yes. forward? Yes. So let's. They are, and if you want to be in, in alignment with the FIP guidelines, right? Um, right. And the. Uh, you know, there is a step where you complete the social responsibility assessment tool, which is a, is a separate tool from our platform, but that is a step. And then when you complete that, if there is, if there is no, if there are no social issues in your FIP, then there's no work for you to be done for it to be done. Right. And you can move forward. So, but that's a required step that you would have to complete. So I just want to clarify this a little bit more for myself than, than anyone else. Sure. When we say, when we're using the term fishery improver project or FIP, is that like a trademarked term is this something no. like is this a program that is owned by a company like how does no. someone get involved in a fishery improvement project and how and like how do you know that if you're involved in a fishery improvement project that there be that 
they're using these guidelines. Like I just the, the structure of the the entire idea. Sure. sure. Uh, if you could get into that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great questions. So you know you you could go out on the on a boat and start your own fishery improvement project if you wanted to. Right. That's so the start. We don't own that. Um, as far as I know, no one does. Um, it's just a term. Um, so there is this, and I think maybe what you're getting at here is there is a real opportunity to, to greenwash, right? To, to, you could just say we're in a FIP. Right. And in right, reality, yeah. what is a FIP, right? A FIP is a, is a, is an opportunity for a fishery that's doing the best work. It's doing the responsible thing and trying to improve, but they need access to usually Western markets. They need access to companies that have made, you know, these commitments to environment, traditionally speaking, historically speaking, rather some sort of environmental commitment. And so by joining, getting involved with a FIP, they can say, hey, we're doing the work by our product. Help us get that access so that we can fund this work going forward, right? That's really the niche that a FIP is trying to fill. Um, get funding to these groups or to these fishers that are doing the good work. Get them, get them up to environmental par, whatever that may be, and now social par with this, with this, new, with this new revision. Um, the guidelines... You know that before the guidelines, there was it was a real wild west. You could report anywhere you wanted. You could say whatever you wanted to do, and the guidelines and then fishery progress are really an attempt to try to bring all of that together into one place, right? Because one of the key components of a FIP is that you are publicly reporting on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So you can go ahead and say you're in a FIP. You can say we're doing all this improvement work, but are you really right? Like there is there are now with the guidelines, with fishery progress and other tools, there's ability to track where it's like okay, you're saying you're in a FIP, but you're not on these platforms. You're saying you're in a FIP, but none of the information that the guidelines say should be publicly available is available. Right. So you could just go, you could have someone come to your fishery, like the manager of your fishery and be like, I'm a fishery consultant and I'm here to implement a fishery improver program on, on your fleet here, whatever. And yeah. they, they could just be saying that they could have no credentials or anything. They could have no baseline for what they're basing all of these changes that they're recommending on. Right. But like, if you follow these guidelines, then you can basically prove that what you're doing is legitimate and making it a is improving. Yes. Yes. So, you should be able, to, be able to show that you're doing the work and whether or not it's improving. Because sometimes these improvements take time. They almost yeah. have to, they always take time. Yeah. Right. Easy, you wouldn't need a fit. <laughs> right. Exactly. <Yeah. laughs> so how is this connected with uh, like the certification programs that are out there? Is this uh, yeah. like, can you use these guidelines to prove that you're meeting a certain standard for some of these certifications or how does, how does that connect it? Yeah, absolutely. And if you, when you look at the language, um, especially in previous versions, but in up to today of the FIP guidelines, you'll see the, the Marine Stewardship Council referenced repeatedly. Now, certification, MSC certification is absolutely not a requirement of a FIP. But the, the MSC standard and the work that's in the, all, all of the different things that they measure for are a very useful rubric to measure a FIP against. And it puts everyone on sort of the same scale, right? So if you have an MSC certified fishery that is not in a FIP, but I have a FIP that is most likely not at the same level, we can still compare the two, right? And we can see the work they're doing using that standard. So um, often what they'll, to, to your example of bringing in someone to look at a FIP, we recommend that that person is well-versed in the MSC standard mm. because it will really help them as they do this work. Again, it's not I'm a not- requirement, but if you were interested in, in certification, you're already doing the work towards it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I think in the beginning of our conversation, you were talking about the, the end goal, right? That depending on why yeah. you're getting into a FIP in the first place, and it could be you want to seek certification and having that knowledge and those s- standards as a backbone for where you want to be. 
That's yes. why you have it. Exactly. Has this been largely a voluntary thing for these fisheries, or is it something that they're kind of pushed into or feel like uh, is there resistance to, you know, maybe their buyers are pushing them to uh, engage in some type of FIP and they don't want to do it, but they have to if they want to sell or something. Like, is, is this something that uh, they are choosing to do actively or there is being pressed upon them? I've heard it both ways. No, it's a great question. I'm just not necessarily the best person to answer because I'm working directly with the fishers in most cases. But from our NGO partners, we're hearing it both ways, right? You have have companies usually who are going to their NGO partner, whomever it may be, and saying, hey, we have to buy this product, right? It doesn't meet whatever agreement or whatever commitment we've made. Um, Do you think we can get them in a fit? Could we work Mm -hmm. to improve that fishery? So that's a pretty common model. But you also see it the other way. You see communities coming together um, to say, we need to improve our product. We need to to make our our product distinct from the other products because we're we're not able to, we're price takers at this point. We'd like to be able to dictate what we sell our product for, as an example. And one way to do that is to improve it so that we can sell it to these buyers who want more environmentally sustainable or responsible product. Yeah. So both ways, you see it both ways. To the... To, to the number, I couldn't tell you, but yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah no, I, I was, I'm just cu- kind of curious, like how you know, whatever we we're talking about, uh, a lot of these either certification standards or or improver projects, whether it's for farm raised seafood or wild mm-hmm. caught, it's always interesting to look at if this is something that the producers are kind of being pushed towards, yeah, uh, and there's resistance, or if they're actively looking to improve. And and are voluntarily like you know going after that themselves. It's it's just kind of an interesting thing to look at because obviously when it comes down to it, it's the right thing to do, mm-hmm. right? But how much how much resistance is it is 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 it meeting? So it's just interesting to look at. Yeah, I agree. And I know you said that you're probably not the best person to ask because you don't directly work with the fisher people, but I wonder where that resistance is coming from, like. Do you think that it's just resistance to change, period? Or do you think it's resistance to things that might cost more for them? Like, what do you think would be a common reason why a fisher person wouldn't want to participate in a FIP? My guess would be that if you want me to do more work, I need to profit for it, right? Right. I need to at least break even. Mm-hmm. And if And if the... Relationship. If I don't have a direct relationship with the end buyer, which I would say is probably usually the case, then the benefits, the financial benefits of having an improved seafood product, a more responsible product, probably don't come all the way down to the boat, right? That's a real issue. How do we get, hmm. if you're going to be charging more money, or if you're going to be making more money off of my product, how does that get into the hands of fishers? Right. And that's a real issue, right? Um, if it's not happening, then there's no reason to do the work. Yeah, is that point. part of the social work that's implemented in this as well? Is that something that is looked at in some cases? It's part of the financial guidance, which is not a requirement, but absolutely. You know, it's this, how do we get, you know, it's it's a known issue that how do we get yeah. across fisheries, right? Um, mm. It's from not just FIPS, but certifications, ratings, whatever it may be. How does, how does that translate into um, a better livelihood for the people who are actually doing the work on the water. Yeah, for sure. And that plays right into something that we talk about all the time, which is like supply chain transparency. Yes. We just sat through, we just were sitting in a, a um, lunch and learn about it right before we came on recording, learning about supply chain transparency and stuff. And uh, it's just such a complex topic. But the more insight we have into where that product is originating and how it ends up where it ends up and then how much it's being sold for each step of the way and everything, like 
the more insight we have into that, the the better we'll be able to uh, attack some of these issues of like, well, why are they not getting paid more when their product is now more responsibly produced? Mm. Um, you know, the, yeah. you, you can start looking at some of those issues. So that's, yeah, that's interesting. That, that's something that people are always talking about around here. <laughs> yeah. And I couldn't agree more, both on the, the, the hideous complexity of it, right? But just yeah. how valuable it would be. Like if you could do, if I could wave my magic seafood wand you know, I want, I think I would ask for, not for full sustainability, but full traceability and transparency, transparency. That's what I'd go for. Mm. That'd be my, my first wish. Um, because you, you're just to agree with you hundred percent, that would, then you can start to do the real work and see, okay, well, the profits disappear right here at your middleman, right? Like this is your problem right here. This is, you know, and, and without that, it makes these pro this processes and projects very difficult. Yeah, one thing that was that stood out to me from what we were just listening to was about that exact word transparency and how consumers more and more want that transparency, whether or not they actually pursue looking into it. If they know that a company is more transparent, then they're going to be more likely to buy from them because then they just assume, oh, if they're being transparent, then it must be trustworthy yeah, because that, there would be major criticism if they're being transparent and they're doing things wrong right. so that it's just it's so interesting that transparency more and more in tandem with traceability but transparency especially is becoming really important to consumers and therefore needs to become really important to producers yeah that that was actually fascinating when he mentioned like okay people aren't necessarily saying oh this was caught by joe smith off Rhode Island, so I want to buy it because of that. There's looking at it and saying the fact that they're able to know that information is what is convincing them to buy this product over another one, which is an interesting mm -hmm. way to look at it. I've never really thought about it that way. And I'm really, in my previous work, um, I spent a lot of time exactly on this issue of consumers and how they interpret things, in my case, like a seafood watch rating, right? Or what, what does the information that's provided to consumer do to their final purchasing? And it's very difficult to draw conclusions about what they actually purchase, right? Like I yeah. can get people to say what I want them to say. It's maybe to this transparency conversation, right? Like if you had two pieces of fish and one told you that was able to tell you X, Y, and Z, would you purchase it over this? And I can get them to say yes, but then can I get them to actually purchase it when mm. shrimp is half off you know, right. from, from, <laughs> right. from mystery farm, right? Yep. And so that is a much more uh consumers are tough consumers are tough consumers say they want a lot of things that don't often then translate into um their actual actions and that's why the data is so important right because right. they could tell you whatever they want but the real data is going to come from their wallet right exactly exactly so back to my that's wish about transparency yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So I know we talked kind of about some of the social stuff, but you know, you did a revision of these guidelines uh, this previous summer, sure. summer 2022. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the other, if people, like you said, our listeners are probably more familiar with this than we are. And right. uh, so they may already have a familiarity with these guidelines. What are some of the change, the other changes that were implemented during your revision process this past summer? Yeah. You know, I really sort of um, went straight to the, to the biggest pieces there. The, the, the people who are interested in this and are following this, the, the, really the conversation is very, very much centered on these changes to social responsibility and the implications of that. Other changes are more subtle, um, you know, things about legibility is, and just how easy is it to, to, to read, right? Um, some clarifications around what it means to be a basic or um, a, be a basic FIP, 
So in the, just to give be more specific, in the previous versions, there was no specificity about what their goals should be. So we've provided some of that. Um, none of these changes are um, earth shattering, right? It's mm-hmm. the, the conversation and the process. Um, we're going to step back a little bit. One of the cool things about the process this time is past guidelines were very much developed by our board and our staff and experts who would be, you know, we would, we, we would speak to and, and, and build those guidelines, right? This guidelines, it really reflects, I would say, the, where the alliance is going. So the alliance is 120 members across 28 nations, much more um, diverse than, you know, than the, the alliance was even five years ago. And so we've tried to reflect that at our work stream. So for in this case, I brought in a team of expert working groups. We call it the working group, 10 people, experts in the field, very diverse. And they had final say on what the document became. And so this is our attempt to really bring in a more democratic and again, diverse set of a, a, a democratic process and diverse voices. So I, I led this work, but I didn't have a vote. Um, and I think that's really important to note. So as your as people read the FIP guidelines, you know, they might see the fundamental shift as social responsibility, which it is. But I would also say thematically or maybe overall, the bigger, more important ch- change for me is that this is community led. And th- in a very real sense of the word, obviously, I had input. Obviously, you know, our staff had input, but we did not choose the final. We did not vote. And during the process, we received Oh, geez, 200 comments um, from from our community. Uh, We held meetings in multiple languages, Indonesian, um, Spanish, English, to get input. And we finally published them in five languages. So, and that's also... uh, That's amazing. used to be three. Yeah. So it's a much more, um, even if you don't see the shifts necessarily, um, they are certainly there and they um, they come from a different place. They come from the community. Mm, it seems like it's a much more inclusive way of doing it. Yes. Which as I don't know where we're all based, but it, you know, this, the democratic process is messy. So this was really, really <laughs> hard, right? It is much easier to say that guidelines are X or it would have been yes. easier to do that. You know, like, right. or just get right. the five people I know who also happen to live in California, all also happen to work at big NGOs, right? Great people. Just get them, build a document and push it out the door, right? But that doesn't work anymore. And we're hearing that from people on the ground that, you know, why should Western NGOs be, be de facto deciding what sustainability is and deciding yep. these rules? And so we can't do that anymore. That model doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's I think it is exciting, but it, it was very difficult. And, I, you know, even the, the social responsibility section um, that took months and months. Right. And it was it was tough. So. Where we stand in the process now is we have this final document out there, but to really embrace that democratic component of it, what we're asking groups to do now is sign the document, add their name to it and say, yes, I am willing to support it in this way. Even to the point of like, maybe you're an academic, maybe you are a consultant, but you, you support and you're not doing FIPS at all, but it's, you know, it's your, maybe you're consulting on them or, or helping or teaching about them. Reference this support this make this your new standard for how FIPS are done or taught or whatever it may be. So we're in that sign on process now. So if people want to do that, they can do it at our site. Yeah. And all of those, we will have a link to, uh, in the show notes to where you. you can download these. I mean, they're available in English, French, Spanish, Indonesian, and Japanese, and they're really easy to find right on this website. So, um, we will put, put that link in the show notes so anyone can 
read these. So uh, you, you mentioned kind of where we're at right now with these mm-hmm. guidelines. What's what's the next phase? You know, the guidelines, We well, in terms of like a hard next step, um, we revise them every couple of years. So um, probably in two years, we'll look again to see what, you know, what, what's the state of the tools that we've recommended, what, you know, what's changed, what's been successful um, as you... You may or may not know, but I'm sure your audience is well aware, you know, the fishery progress social policy is one that continue, they're continuing to iterate on that and improve it, um, make it more accessible to, to fishery uh, improvement project implementers. So, um, you know, where does that stand? We'll be looking at those things. And so that'll happen a few years down the line. Um, more generally, though, the two other documents we're working on, um, one is the vision document. Um, this vision document is a broad, high level direction for um, our movement, really, what we do, how we can improve, um, how we can reach shared goals across both our sector and other sectors, and really trying to broaden the conversation to include other sectors um, through the use of the uh, UN uh, Sustainable Development Goals. Mm-hmm. And so the, I, I bring that up because the fishery project, the FIP guidelines will fit neatly underneath that as one component of, okay, if you want to have a more sustainable seafood sector and you're in the FIP space, you know, you, you get there, you look at the vision, okay, I'm in the FIP space, and I go to the FIP guidelines. Next year, we'll develop the, the guidelines for companies, which will also fit underneath that vision, and will also pair well with the FIP guidelines. Mm. That's actually a, a great transition, because my next question was, what else does Conservation Alliance for Seafood Solutions do? I mean, if you go to solutionsforseafood.org, you can look at kind of yeah. all the information about them, and, and uh, there's a whole section called Our Work, and there's a lot yep. of good re- uh, resources in here. So can you just talk about some of the other things that you are involved in? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, new cool things, obviously, FIP guidelines. I did it, so I'm super stoked about it. Um, but the other <laughs> neat thing we have there is a pro- platform called Seahive, which is a way to map the seafood movement and the people within it, build relationships, uh, come together. Um, that's coming out. We'll be promoting that a lot next week at our annual conference. I don't know when this goes live. So by that, by the time it does, I'm sure this will be outdated, but we'll have talked about it then. So some of your audience will have heard about it then. Um, that's a new cool thing that we're promoting. Um, but more generally speaking, in addition to these projects, we are really trying to build a community. Um, the new focus under our leadership, under our executive director, Mariah Boyle has been on a diversification of membership as well as skills and experience. And so we've been doing a significant amount of work reaching out to, for example, the human rights and social responsibility world, which frankly is difficult. And the relationships there are often, you know, there's, there's not, there's some bad history there. There's some good history there. And so really trying to bridge that gap because, you know, we cannot stand alone. Either camp, we need each other. Um, So trying to build those relationships, pull them into this hub and provide a place for those conversations to happen and is that what uh on your website when it, it mentions the global hub yeah like, so that's our membership that, yeah, yeah yeah that's our membership great that's amazing so what is you just mentioned some of the things that conservation alliance for seafood solutions is doing right now but is there anything on the horizon that you're excited about or future projects that you're seeing in the works that you'd like to share with us that you can share yeah yeah absolutely so um right as i said right now we are literally a couple days out for us for our annual conference and that is a huge body of work um that thankfully <laughs> this is oh that my 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 uh my colleagues are leading and i'm really excited about that but that happens every year and we're sort of super excited next year for what that's going to look like as we work towards a model of 
both in person and um, and support for people who can't come for whatever whatever reason, right? So this will, will be a new hybrid model that we're really excited about next year. Um, we are, I can't give you any details because we're still working on it, but in the past, pre-COVID, we did a big um, celebration every year at Boston, and we're looking at how to make that more effective and more useful for our membership. What can we do there? How can we be present to to support people that that important event? Um, and then the one that I'm half excited, half nervous about, maybe mostly nervous <laughs> is the guidelines for companies. So um, that yeah. is the next big project for me that I've mentioned a couple times now, but mm-hmm. you know, that's going to be, you know, that's going to be where the vision is high level where the FIP guidelines are a bit more in the weeds, but you know, they're focused on one specific component. The guidelines for businesses are going to be um, have specific direction in them. And because nearly every NGO in the space has a relationship with businesses or, you know, it touches that world, um, it's going, they're going to be very difficult to develop through a democratic process. I think we'll, we'll result in a much more robust document when it's complete. Um, but frankly, um, that one is my 2023 is going to be scary busy. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be booked. <laughs> what, what, what types of companies is that targeted at? Yeah. With seafood companies across the board, right? Um, what what does it mean to to be in this space and work towards sustainability? What can you do as a company to engage? Um, so, you know, basically the whole chain. Yeah, very cool. Justin, you look like you got something. No, I mean, usually as we kind of go through our list of things that we wanted to talk about, I guess one of the last things we say as we get close to wrapping up is: Is there anything else that we weren't able to touch on during our our conversation that you want to? bring up on the show? Oh, that's cl- the classic question. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, I, I think I just want to double down on my excitement around the, the new model that the Alliance is embracing of a democratic, diverse platform of users, right? We need more and different voices coming together on these issues. Um, mm-hmm. That means more work, like straight up, you know, we have to do more translations. We need more interpretation. We need meetings in different time zones, just, you know, very nuts and bolts kind of things that are going to make the process more difficult. But then there's also, you know, um, people stepping out of power, people stepping into power, um, the idea of um, cultures clashing, right? There's a, this is going to be more work, but at the end of the day, I think this is both the best path and the only path forward. So that's why I'm so excited generally about all the projects that are going to be coming out of the Alliance over the next couple of years. Yeah. Sometimes when you look at, you know, where, where you want to be and what's the best approach, and then you get to the the nitty gritty of the logistics and you say, okay, this is, this is going to take, take some time, but at least we have a, a clear path of where we want to be. And we have some ideas of how we want to get there. Yeah. So if there's a, a representative of a fishery out there that wants to get involved, wants to maybe, uh, you know, be involved in a FIP for their fisheries, is the Conservation uh, Alliance a good uh, resource to get started there? Can they reach out to you? And if so, what is the best way for them to contact you guys? I would say the first thing they should do is download the guidelines. Take a look at those and see if, if it fits their needs. The groups that are going to actually be on the ground and lead them through their FIP, that's not the Alliance, right? We're, we're providing the Bible, as it were, and mm-hmm. others will provide the, the impl- implementation steps. But absolutely, that would be a good place to start. And if they have additional questions about that, they can certainly reach out to me by email. Fantastic. Well, we'll make sure that we link to all of the websites and everything in the show notes, as well as the guidelines themselves. Uh, And then, you know, just lastly, anything else you want to get out there before we sign off? No, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. And I hope that your listeners take a moment to um, pop over to our site and sign the guidelines. Yeah, for sure. 
Thank you so much again. This is Ryan Bigelow uh, from the Conservation Alliance for Seafood Solutions. Thank you so much for joining us again, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Folks, that was our conversation with Ryan Bigelow from the Conservation Alliance for Seafood Solutions. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something, and I hope you will remember to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen. That way, every time a new episode comes out, it'll automatically be downloaded to your device. Follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. If you want to contact us for any reason, fill out our online form located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. And one thing that you can do that will really help the show out in the spirit of the new year and making things better, we want to hear from you so please leave us a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen on that's right and if you like what we do and you want to be more involved in some of the work that global seafood alliance is doing for responsible seafood you might want to consider becoming a member the link to all of our information about our membership program is in the show notes check it out thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time ciao bye